Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Joshua chapter 6. What a song to lead us into what we're going to talk about today. And by the way, those of you that prayed for me at Bryan College this past week, 32 years I've been doing that camp. We had 22 kids saved this past week, and over 500 kids were there from 11 different states. Wonderful time. Okay, what have we done so far in Joshua? Remember, we're not teaching the book of Joshua verse by verse. We're pulling gems out of it. The one chapter I did overlook and just left it there was chapter 2, and that was Rahab and how the spies went over and she protected them. But in chapter 1, we've talked about experiencing what you already have. Remember, the land was already given to Israel. The life has already been given to us in Christ. And that was chapter 1, 1 through 5. We, we talked about facing life and God's strength, chapter 1, 6 through 9. Meditating upon God's Word, letting it season our thinking, let it season our speaking and our living. We talked about walking on the water of God's Word in chapter 3 when the ark led them into the Jordan and the raging Jordan was at flood stage and it had to back up and backed up all the way to the city of Adam, which is so interesting to me that that, that was put there. And then letting it, God be your legacy in chapter 4 because the legacy that was left by the former generation of Israel wasn't good. And then in chapter 5, living as a victor, not a victim. Every one of us have been victimized, but God doesn't let us live as victims because He is our victory over whatever it is we've had to face. And then today, conquering the temptations that threaten us. Whoa, we're coming to Jericho. This is chapter 6. And what a picture this is in our life. Let me get you into it. Standing in the way of Israel, claiming and experiencing all that God had given to them, after they've gotten across the Jordan River, was the walled city of Jericho. Most important city in the Jordan Valley. It was small. When we think of Jericho, we think of its might. We think of a large city like we have today. It's set on eight and one-half acres. So that wasn't as large as you think it was. It's the strongest fortress, however, in the whole land of Canaan. It was the key. If you didn't get past Jericho, there would be nothing else that you could take that was theirs in the land. They could not possess the rest of the land until they dealt with Jericho. The very first battle they had was with Jericho. Now, to make a comparison to you and I, we're in the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was what they were under. We're under the New Covenant. And we do not have a land such as they had in the land of Canaan. But we, what we have is a life that we can experience in Christ. And the same way they possess the land is the same way we experience the Christ, the life that he has given us. He gives us the privilege of entering into what we already have only to the degree that we're willing to bow and surrender to him and to his word. And since our covenant, the new covenant, is internal and eternal, it's not a land. We do not have physical enemies that threaten our spiritual walk with God. Now, to say we don't have physical enemies, that's not exactly right. But we don't have physical enemies that can threaten our walk with the Lord because He lives within us, and nobody can take from us what God has given to us. We can choose not to walk in it, but nobody can take it from us. When we seek to live yielded to Christ, he causes, as we saw in chapter 3, the raging Jordan of our flesh to stand down because it has no power over him. 
This is the victory. Jesus is the victory. And he allows us to experience the life when we're surrendered to him that we already have. Now, it is then, once we begin to experience his life, and if you haven't experienced this yet, you will. If, you, if you're a growing Christian, you're just beginning to understand, this is coming. The spiritual enemies, that's when they rise up against you. It's not the Jordan River's not a battle. The Jordan River was an object lesson to teach them how to deal with their flesh by trusting God. And the flesh has no power over the ark, which is today the Lord Jesus that lives within us. We're the priests today that bear the ark wherever where we go. He lives in our hearts. But once we start living, yielded to him, having dealt with our flesh, and now we're wanting to walk yielded to him, that's when these spiritual enemies rise up in front of us and they threaten us to stop us from going any further into that which we already have in him. They don't bother us when we're not living yielded lives. They don't bother us. Why? Because we're already sucked in. We're already drawn in. We're in the grip of sin. But when we choose to say no to flesh by saying yes to Christ, that's when they rise up against us because this is when the battles begin you don't have any spiritual battles until you're living surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when they rear their ugly heads in our face and they threaten us through temptation to do what we know we should not do. Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggles not against flesh and blood, puts it very clearly, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, these satanic spiritual powers that he mentions there are very real and they have infected this world in a satanic system that is totally contrary to God if you don't believe that just wake up tomorrow morning and look around you this world is totally contrary to God in fact John tells us in his epistle first John that the world doesn't even know know that they're within its grip they're in Satan's grip now we're of the household of God but the world that does not know Christ is already in this grip. They're already there. In 1 John 5, 19, it says, We know that we are of God. We're out of God, born out of God. And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the devil's crafty system has infected the way the world lives and has infected the way the world thinks. It's totally anti-God. It's totally anti-God. We're an enigma here on this earth because we're out of him. But the world itself, the world system, the way it lives, the way it thinks is anti-God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the devil has blinded the eyes of this world to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is something we, we need to reckon with, the glory of the gospel. This is why the gospel is the power of God's. It, it, it cannot be of man's ingenious way ways and clever methods that we come up with. The, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Only God can break into a human heart. You may be here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus. Maybe you don't even reason him into your thinking and your vocabulary. That's because you're in a system that has already programmed you to think the way you think. And only God, only God, only God can break through that barrier and give the revelation of who Christ is, Jesus is. Only God can reveal it's the gospel of God unto salvation. Our problem is we have to live every day in this satanically influenced worldly system. I heard a long time ago, a boat in water is by design. God put us out there. But water in the boat 
is disaster. So we have to live in the midst of it, but we live differently in the midst of it. The world's appeal is to our flesh. Uh, that's where it always appeals to. All the satanic influence of this world appeals to our flesh. That's what Paul says in Galatians 5.17. It says the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. And there's nothing new about this attraction. This is not something that had happened yesterday. It goes all the way to the Garden of Eden. In 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world. This whole world that's, that thinks and lives the way it does does not come from God. It comes from the devil himself who has propagated this system that in fact is infectious to the minds and lives of people. But the good news is that God doesn't leave us unprotected in the overwhelming arena and the battle that rages against us when we surrender to him. It's, oh, I love this song. Thank you, choir. Thank you. Yet in my heart, the battle is still raging. It didn't know that the war has been won. Everything that we face has already been conquered by the Lord Jesus on the cross. But we have got to learn the same thing that delivered us from the guilt in the first place is the same thing that delivers us from the grip today. As we, and what it is, it's faith. 1 John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And it doesn't mean the people of the world. It means this world system. It overcomes it. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What does faith mean? Faith means it's got to be done God's way. There is no other way. We have got to learn to do it God's way. As we surrender to him, he's the ark living in us. And, and sin cannot touch him because in him there is no sin. And as we learn to live in him, there's no stumbling block, as John says in his epistle. Now, Jericho is a clear picture of the world's temptations wrapped up into one, right there, into one little city towards all of us who seek to live surrendered to Christ. This Jericho of temptation that we face no matter what shape it takes, you can, you can go for hours on what shape it takes in your life. doesn't matter. can only be conquered in God's power. Joshua 6, 17 is something to take note of. We'll get to it in a little bit later. It says, this city, or the city shall be under the ban. They put a ban on the city, which means you couldn't take any, anything that belonged to the city. It says, it and all, all that's in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab, the harlot, and all who are with her in the house shall live. That's chapter 2 of Joshua. Because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and, and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. And that's the temptation, isn't it? To covet the things of the world, to bring them into our lives, thinking it's only good, good damage to me and nobody else, never realizing it does damage to the whole when we choose not to surrender and trust Christ. So what can we learn from Israel? What can we learn about dealing with the temptations of life? By the way, let me ask you a question. Anybody in here been tempted this past week? Just, just, uh, just to kind of understand where everybody is. Some of you didn't raise a hand. You'll, God will deal with you <laughs> later. We're all in the same boat. People come to me all the time. Man, I've been really tempted by this particular sin. I say, look, get a number, get in line. That's, that's the normal Christian life. We're all being tempted every single day. Every place we go, every person we're around, there's a temptation there to, to, to pull away from our surrender to Christ. And what it does, it threatens us 
to no longer experience what's really ours in Christ Jesus. And we succumb to it. That's the cost of it. Well, what can we learn from Israel? What can we learn about conquering that which seemingly is, a, is impossible in our life, that threatens us? First of all is this. They determined who was in charge. That's the first thing you've got to make up in your mind. Who is in charge of your life? Now, let me get you into this. The instructions God gave to Joshua tells us that this is not a military campaign. This is a demonstration of God's power in the lives of people who are willing to surrender to him. The task of taking down Jericho was a humanly impossible task. When we face what we face in this world, it's humanly impossible. You can do something to, to, beha- to modify your behavior. That's what religion does. But you cannot change the heart. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can give the victory from within. The task of, of taking down Jericho was insurmountable. An archaeologist in our former church in Albuquerque told me some things about Jericho because he'd done several excavations there. It's quite interesting. The walls were 15 feet high. There were two walls parallel to each other all the way around the city. Now, you know, the tactic of battle would be to run up, throw a ladder up to it and climb over it. That's the, uh, the way that they would normally take a city. But there were two walls. Each wall was 15 feet high and about 18 feet wide. They were 15 to 20 feet apart from one another. Now, this is interesting to me. They were on an incline. You know, they built them on what they call tails. They, they were high up so that the enemy couldn't get to them. But one of the things he told me was the ground in between the two walls had something, and they don't know what it was, a ceramic something that was slick. Even uh, like today we would say it was plastic or whatever. But they had something between the two walls that the people could not get their footing. So it was one thing to get over one wall, but the second thing was even to get to the second wall before the enemy could take you down. And that was, that was quite an impossible task. On top of that, in Joshua 6.1, we see that the Jericho was tightly shut. Verse 1 says in chapter 6, Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out. No one came in. Now we know it was shut because of fear of the God of Israel. They'd already heard about the crossing of the Jordan. And it had, it had locked down the city, and they were absolutely trembling with fear. Now this would have been a problem for Jericho because in essence they're trapped. They have locked the city down. They can go nowhere. However, it was more of a problem to Israel because now it was totally impossible to conquer this city. Two walls completely locked down, and they couldn't get near it. However impossible the circumstance was, it didn't catch God off guard. Isn't that awesome? God had a plan. God had a way. The key verse is that Joshua and the Israelites had made up their, the key thought is, that Joshua and the Israelites had made up their minds who was in charge. How do we know that? Because we just studied chapter 5. In chapter 5, they had renewed their covenant. They had come back to that place of surrender, and this had released them from the legacy of parents that didn't obey. They could go on into the freedom of what God gave to them. And, and the captain of the Lord host, had, been, had, had the Lord Jesus himself, had revealed himself to Joshua. Whoa! Now, they were already ready. They had made up their minds who was in charge. And now they're ready to face all that Jericho had to offer because they'd made up their minds who was in charge. Our victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil was assured at the cross. We got to remember this. We made up our minds that day that he was going to be in charge of our lives. That's what surrender is. That's what yielding is. When we came to Christ, we said, Lord, 
we're not going to fight you anymore. When the emperor of Japan uh, made a peace treaty with America, I mean, it ended the war. He didn't make a peace treaty. We defeated them. And General MacArthur came out, and here's the emperor of Japan. He took his sword, and when he came out to General MacArthur, he bowed down and handed him the sword, which meant we will no longer fight you. And that's exactly what happens at the cross. When we come to the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus woos us to himself and we come, we lay down our sword. Lord, we're not going to fight you anymore. From the moment of salvation, our victory is all centered on who's in charge. And we bow to the Lordship of Jesus. Some people say, no, he, you, you receive him as your Savior. Later on, he becomes your Lord. Are you kidding? He is the Lord. And we bow down at salvation. And we understand what we understand at that moment of of what we also understand about him. We, we don't understand everything about ourselves, and we don't understand everything about him. That's going to grow. But we give everything we understand of ourselves to everything we understand about him, and we bow before him, and we say, Lord, you are now in charge of my life. Now, that's got to be made. You, we've got to come to that place. Some people aren't ready to come to that place. That's why the rest of this makes no sense to them. You have to determine who is in charge and bow before him. If we're going to walk in the victory Oh, over the grip of sin, we have to bow before him. Secondly, this determination that they had already made disciplined their actions to do exactly what God said. There was no, listen, no questions asked, no opinions offered, no options discussed. Now, you know, when we watch our grandchildren, it is really funny because they reflect how we are as adult believers. And it's amazing. How many people will say, yes, Jesus is my Lord? They'll stand, they'll stand, they'll raise their hands. But when it comes to making choices, they haven't made that decision yet in their personal walk with Christ. Ellie and Luke, Stephen's uh, seven-year-old and five-year-old. When they come to see us, <laughs> they already know that Dinah and I have committed ourselves to spoiling them, I mean, rotten. It's already happened to Jonathan, so we're still working on him. But when they come, they know that. And they know that whatever they ask us, usually, within reason, <laughs> and the reason gets bigger and bigger, we'll give it to them. So you know what they tell them before they come? They say, do not ask Nana and Poppy for anything. Well, they figured a way to get around that. It's incredible. We try to do the same thing with God. And they come and they say, you know, that toy or whatever it is, they describe it to detail and and I'll say, no, tell me about it. They'll tell me and all this. And, I, and I'll say, wow, that's something else. They said, we don't have one. <laughs> they know we're registering that. And then they'll say something else. And then they'll say something else. They don't ask you. Oh, no. Because the parents will come to them after we get it for them. And they'll say, I told you not to ask. We didn't ask them. <laughs> See, they, the parents weren't in charge. These children had already decided who was in charge. And they were working a, a way around what God not what God, what mom and daddy had told them, to them, God, what mom and daddy had told them. Same way in our Christian walk. That's why counseling sometimes goes on for years and years and years and years and never see any results. Because somebody will not come to the place to say, God, you are in charge. And until we come to that place, you're not going to understand the flip side of that. We've got to make up our minds who's in charge. Well, in verse 2, the divine captain, who is Christ in the, in the New Testament, Christ of the Old Testament, announced that the victory was already theirs. Verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warrior. Now think about this. 
They had victory before they ever broke camp. <laughs> you see, that's why chapter 5 comes before chapter 6. They had already decided who was in charge. Technically, technically, in my mind, they didn't go toward victory. They came out of it because God said it's already yours. It was already done before they ever broke camp, just like with you and I. When we come to the cross, find our identity in Him, it's done. It's over. And the victory's in Him. But we've got to make up our mind. Is He going to be in control of our life? It had to happen God's way. That's, that's why we know that He was, had made the decision He's in charge. It couldn't happen man's way. Look at verse 3. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. That's one time every day for six days. In verse 4. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before, you, before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. By the way, let me chase a rabbit just for a minute, since this is a fun day. I mean, it's always a fun day when we come together. But let me chase a rabbit just for a second. There's always, I've always thought the whole nation walked around the city. There's much discussion on whether it was just the military men, and the priest that were carrying the ark and then the rear guard, was that all that walked around the city? Well, in 7, 8, and 10 in that chapter, he mentions the word people. He spoke to the people. Now, is the, are the people there, is he talking about the whole nation? Is he talking about, about those he's defined as the military and the priest? You see, for instance, when they would ever number Israel, they never numbered the women and children. And they didn't number the priest. They only numbered the men that were that was capable of battle. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from the children. <laughs> These were men on foot, but aside from the children. They didn't even put in the women there. In, in Numbers chapter 1, verse 45, so all the numbered men of the sons of Israel by their father's household from 20 years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war in Israel, even all the numbered men were 603,550. This is why so many people, when they came out of Egypt, numbered them to 2 million to 2 million 500,000, because if they had six children, then that would bring about that number. This number did not include the women, the children, or the priests, the Levites. In Numbers 147, the Levites, however, were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. So the phrase, men of war, it's used back in chapter 5 and verse 6. And this sort of caught my attention when I was studying so I'm really chasing the rabbit, but I know somebody out there is smarter than I am, and you will tell me the answer at the end of the service. But I was going to let you see the peril I was going through trying to study this. In Joshua 5 and verse 6, For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So my question was, all right, did only the men of war die in the wilderness, or were there not women and children along with them? And so, whatever. <laughs> you say, well, Wayne, thanks a lot. Really blessed us by your doing it. What I'm going to tell you is there was a lot of people walking around eight and a half acres. And to me, I think it's the whole nation. Now, I cannot prove that. Most commentators would say, Wayne, you're crazy. That's okay. I've been called that before. But there was a lot of people that were walking around those eight and a half acres. And it probably took them most of the day, as many as there would have been. 603,500 men at one time numbered amongst the ones 20 and older that was capable of war. If that's all that walked, that's a lot of people. And here's how they walked. They, it wouldn't have taken them a long time. But the trumpets were the man. You have to know this. They, the priests were to take the seven trumpets. The trumpets were the jubilee trumpets, the ram's horn. 
And that was a, a, such a picture because at Jubilee, they go back and possess all that God had given to them. This was not a matter of attacking the city. This was a matter of taking back what God said was already there, taking ground that was already theirs. Imagine the scene. Again, you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. Do so for six days, all right? Silence was to be amongst the people, verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day, the seventh day. I tell you, shout, then you shall shout. Now, can you imagine that? For six days, one time around the city, only the sound of the priest blowing the trumpet. That's all the people could hear. He said in verse 4, Also seven priests shall carry seven tr trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Can you imagine the scene? Am I the only one in here that has a mind that tries to jump in the midst of that thing? And here are the people of Jericho. Oh, and they're scared to death because God's parted the Jordan River. They'd already heard about the Red Sea. Oh, my. They're scared to death of the God of Israel. And now here's his people walking around the city. Not a word said. And in the meantime, that whole ram's horn going off. I don't know how. That's kind of weird sound. And they're thinking, what in the world are they doing? Now, you have to put yourself into that picture. That's what went on for six solid days. Walk around the city. Don't say a word. Don't let your voice be heard. And just the sound of the trumpets of the priest. Then on the seventh day, he said, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow their trumpets. Verse 5 of Joshua 6, it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will, will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. Once again, you can see real clearly here, this is not a military campaign. This is a demonstration of God's power and a demonstration of God's judgment. Victory would only be theirs had they made their minds up as to who was in charge and had made their minds up that if he's in charge, we're going to do everything exactly the way he tells us. Because what he's going to say is not what they would have normally come up with. Like in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher, your ways are higher. Same idea of taking your shoes off. Take your shoes off. What God had in mind had nothing to do with human reasoning. Nobody could have reasoned this out. Nobody. No committee, as creative as they are, and as successful as they are, could have come up with this. If it's going to be done, it has to be God. So they determined who was in charge. And this, this determination disciplined their actions to do exactly as God said. Many of you don't know. I think the choir now does. Y'all took my name in vain Wednesday night. Just want they had a party Wednesday night. I was in military school. Can you imagine Wayne in military school? I never made up my mind that they were in charge. And this is my problem. This is my problem when I was growing up. Because uh, I, I have such a sense of humor. It gets me in so much trouble. I remember telling a staff sergeant one day, he was looking at me, what are you grinning about, Barbara? I said, have you ever no noticed that when you look a certain way, you look like a frog? Well, that... It was very painful for me because I didn't, hadn't made up my mind who was in charge. And one day I was in the post office and I got a big box of care package from my mom and she didn't make brownies and stuff like that. And I, I had it in my arm, my, my right arm. We had one gung-ho colonel that had retired from the military but was there at the military school. He loved military. 
I mean, I, I, he just loved military. I, I cannot tell you. He just was a stickler. If you've never been around a military person like that, you just don't understand what I'm saying. But he was driving by in his little MG convertible. And I walk out of the post office with that package in my right hand. And when I saw him, I went like this and saluted him <laughs> with my left hand. That car stopped. He got out. Oh, my goodness. He gave me a tongue lashing like I've never heard before. And he said, start running. They said I ran more laps around an 880 track that year than any cadet they can remember in the history of the school. But that's what they made you do when you did something wrong. And he made me run with that box in my hand all the way around that 880 track and just round and round, then come back and salute him the proper way. I learned real quick. You better make up your mind, Wayne, as to who's in charge. And when you do, the obedience will not be a problem. You will do exactly what, what, what they say because you've made your mind up as to who's in charge. This is why people don't want to get in the Word of God even today. They know it. But they, they're like Ellie and Luke. They keep trying to work their way around it to get what they want and yet at the same time give token glory to God. No, it has to be exactly what God says. Or we're not going to continue to walk in what God says is already out. Well, what's the result of all that? You know, God demonstrated his power to do the impossible. You know, you think about, <laughs> you think about military school and you think about all that kind of stuff. My daddy had a bird dog. He raised bird dogs when I was growing up. English, English setters. And uh, he, uh, on, on the day Pearl Harbor was bombed, that Sunday afternoon, he was out running the best dog he said he'd ever had. Big old feet, bloodlines, just looked good. He knew that dog was going to be a champion one day. But that dog, he said, was the hardest-headed dog he'd ever had since he had started raising him. That dog would not listen to its master. In fact, when the mama, old Pat, would go on point, if you never bird hunted, you don't understand this, but when they go on point, the dog knows to wait on the hunters. And then the dog makes, moves forward at the hunter's at the command and flushes the birds. Well, this little puppy just had the biggest kick out of when his mama would go on point. He'd just take off on a full blast run and run right into the birds and flush them before the hunters could get there. It just irritated them to death. And my daddy took some bird shot one day and shot it. <laughs> trying to get its attention. It didn't hurt him. It just got harder headed down the road. Well, one day on that particular day that he was out running that dog, old Pat was up here, the mama dog up here and the puppy right with her, and daddy was down in the mid middle of a hollow. We call those hollows on the side, side of the hill. And down in the hollow was where the birds were, and that mama dog suddenly turned and went on point. Well, when she did, that was the cue to a little hard-headed puppy here to take off and see what he could do to irritate the hunters. And so he ran down the hill, full blast, but he ran too close to his master. And my daddy had done everything else he knew to do. And when that dog got right up beside him, my daddy took his fist and went, bam, hit that dog upside the head. That dog upside down, bang, bang, all the way down the hill. And to show you how hard-headed it was, it was still running when it, when it came up. But when he got to the birds, he froze. He said, Daddy, this is the most beautiful point you've ever seen in your life. Something had finally communicated. I just want you to know, before God ever demonstrates his power to do the impossible, these first two things are not just trite points. Make up your mind who's in control of your life. And once you do, obedience is not going to be burdensome. You'll do exactly what he says. And then, 
God will show you what he can do that you could have never thought about doing yourself. Joshua 6, 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city and let the armed men go on before the Ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. They were blowing the trumpet as they went around. Verse 9, the armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came out to the Ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua, verse 10, commanded the people saying, you shall not shout, nor let your, let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until, I, until the day I tell you, shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now, each time, that one day. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Verse 13, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. In verse 14, thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned for the camp. They did so for six days. Now I want to bring a thought into here that understanding the context and understanding the fear that this city had of Israel, I would imagine, and I have no proof of this at all, but I would imagine by the sixth day they were probably even heckling the people of Israel. You're not going to do anything. All you're going to do is make some noise and walk around the city. I just wondered about that. They had no clue at judgment was coming. Can I just interject a thought here? Our world laughs at us because they're anti-God and we're out of God. They laugh at us. They make fun of us. Oh, do they ever enjoy making fun of us. They don't know that judgment is coming. They have no idea. That's why it's the power of God and the salvation. They have no idea. Verse 15, then on the seventh day they rose early and at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. This is interesting to me. If you study the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And I know it's not inspired. The Hebrew is. But however, sometimes it gives you a clear picture. There are two words in the Greek that have to do with speaking. One means to make a noise. So when we think of shout, we think of whoa, whatever, and then they went forward, just making a noise. But that's not the word used there. It's the word lego. Lego means to speak something intelligent. We don't know what they said, but it was something intelligent. I wonder if they said, God is good all the time, in his time, right on time, just in time. Why? Because that's his nature. Woo! Let's go. Don't quote me on that because I don't really know that for a fact. <laughs> All I know is whatever they said was intelligent that could be understood. And I wonder what it was that they shouted. Maybe they sung a song, this land is my land. I don't know. Verse 15. Then on the seventh day they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched toward around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said, shout. And they shouted. In verse 20, so the people shouted, and priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout. 
and the wall fell down, and notice the words here, flat, so that the people went into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. This archaeologist in our church said to me, on one of the recent excavations, he said, when those walls fell, you know, they're on an incline, and they do have to walk up the hill to get into the city. But when they fell, they were level to where they walked straight in. And he, he was so amazed by that, and he was trying to share that with me one day. We were, I, was, I was talking about Joshua, and he said, Wayne, you've got to pay attention to this. Because he said it was flat. They walked straight in and took the city. Well, it says in verse 21, they utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Now, why would that happen? You have to remember something. We, we so often read a context, we don't go back to understand something. The, the sin of Canaan was a spiritual sin against God. Everything they did was detestable in God's eyes. This is not some of the things we call sin. This is detestable spiritual sins against God. How do you know that, Wayne? Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 9. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall, not, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. We made the statement earlier, we don't have physical enemies to mess up our Christian walk, but we do have spiritual ones. And it's the temptation of the world, the Jerichos that stand in front of us, that threaten us that we can go no further in our Christian walk. But only God can take them down. The same way we were released from the guilt of having been in them before is the same way we were released from the grip that they have on us even today. And once you're conquered by King Jesus, once you're conquered by King Jesus, 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the what? The sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And I want to tell you something about that. That fragrance that emanates out of us, it's a Christ. God looks at us and sees himself because we've surrendered to let Jesus be Jesus in us. And the lost world sees it. Some see it as death to death, and some see it as life to life. And Paul said, who's adequate for these things? I can't handle that. But I'm telling you, when it's Christ in us and we're experiencing him to the fullest by surrendering to him, making sure we understand who's in charge, realizing, realizing that, must be, that must be an important point that you need to hear, realizing that once we've made up our mind who's in charge, that communicates into our obedience. And obedience is a, is a simple matter to a person who's made that choice. And then you're going to see the power of God to overcome the Jerichos of your life. They determined who was in charge. They disciplined their actions to do exactly what he said. God demonstrated his power to do the impossible, gave them the victory over what would destroy them. So freedom today, we're talking about freedom that they now can enjoy. 
Do you realize that freedom to the Christian is not the right to do as you please? It's the power to do as you should. And God alone can give that to us. It's a precious story. It's a true story. It's something for us to go home and say, wow, what is God saying to me about that today? You know, a message like this to me is not to point a finger at anybody else. Just come here. Lord, what are you saying to me? Would you stand with me as your head's bowed? And For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.